we're going to look at this in, in three different uh, orders. First, we're going to look at the explanation, then we're going to kind of look at the exposition of it, and then we're going to get into the application. Uh, very, very start of this, Jesus uh, was teaching his disciples about the mentality of someone who is a child of God. We've been noticing this uh, as we've gone through some of these different lessons. Uh, as we've studied, we've looked at having childlike humility, uh, having uh, a forgiving spirit, that one who is forgiven is forgiving. And this is something that we ought to embrace. These are difficult things for us to, uh, to grab hold of because they, they aren't savory to us. We don't want to be childlike and humble. We don't want to be forgiving. Uh, we, we looked at uh, uh, last week at how God is God and we rejoice in the abundant grace that has been poured out on us. We, we, we like to be in charge. This is something that we all struggle with. It's a human uh, problem that we have to take before him regularly. Today we're going to notice a couple things in the passage before us and it really kind of all stems around the authority of Jesus Christ. Either he has authority or he doesn't. And if he has authority, who are we to fight against it? We are the ones that ought to be submitting to it. So a quick explanation here as we look through this. Uh, right after the passage that we studied last week, uh, if you remember, we, uh, we looked at um, who was going to be greatest, and it was the, uh, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If you drop back into chapter 20, verse uh, uh, 17 through 19, you'll find out that right after this, uh, Jesus uh, starts to foretell his death and he starts to unpack all of that. And then uh, following that, just after the teaching of the first shall be last and the last shall be first, James and John's mother asks him if uh, he will let one of them sit on the right hand and one of them on the left hand. How would you like to have been one of those boys? And you're like, really, mom? Did you not just hear what he said? You know, but then he says, well, they've got to be able to uh, have the baptism. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. Really, guys, did you not listen to what Jesus was just teaching you? I mean, th think about it. how embarrassing. How would you like that? I and mean, here's Matthew. Matthew, was, he, he's very meticulous in his recordings, right? And he's recording that James and John's mother, and they're like, well, you know, your mom. <laughs> just how embarrassing would that have been? Forever remembered as the guys who ignored the teaching. But we do it too. We do it too. We hear the teaching of God over and over and over, and yet we ignore it and ignore it and ignore it. After that, uh, uh, verses 24 to 28 of chapter 20, he reminds them that uh, to be great, you must, be, you must humble yourself and serve others. Uh, no room for pride. I think this humility and this last being first, first being last concept was pretty important to Jesus. He then makes his way into the city and he's healing people along the way. He enters into the city as a conquering king in, in chapter 20, uh, verses 29, all the way through verse 11 of chapter 21. Then with authority, he goes in and he casts out the money changers. He goes and he drives them out. You have turned my father's house, which was to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. Only one with authority could do something like that. Only one with authority could heal. Only one with authority could ride into the city the way he did. Next, he curses a fig tree, which is an apparent reference to the dried up old tree, to that of Israel and what it had become. 
A lot of people have problems with those kind of passages. Like, like what, you know, it's like all of a sudden you've got all this wonderful stuff the Messiah is doing, and then he walks up and he curses a fig tree. It's like it got stuck in there. No, 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 my friend. Understand Jesus never does anything without a purpose. Even the small things that we see as insignificant and, and, and minutia, uh, they're often preparing our minds for what's coming. Often preparing our minds. Think back in, 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 in when uh, uh, Jesus healed, uh, healed the man and he says, okay, what do you see now? And he's like, I see people walking around like they're trees. And he goes, all right, let me clear it up for you a little bit more. And then he goes, in, oh, now I can see perfectly fine. But that was right before the Mount of Transfiguration. And the, here's the, uh, some, of the, uh, some of his chosen few that are with him and they see uh, that uh, Moses and Elijah are right there. Uh, they're ministering to Jesus and like, hey, we're going to, uh, to make a, a, a place for all three of you. We're going to set up a tabernacle for all three of you. And then they hear a voice. This is my son. Listen to him. You see, they understood it partially, just like the blind man. He understood it partially. He could see, but then Jesus had to clear it up. And so now the disciples, they see Jesus partially, but then God's voice from heaven cleared it up for him. You see, we've got these little things and we wonder to ourselves, why in the world do they have it that way? Why did he do it that way? Why didn't he just, you got the guys that got healed of blindness, one got with the mud and the other got no mud. You know, if that happened today, you'd have two different churches, the mudites and the anti-mudites. That's not what it's about. Everything in scripture is given to us for a purpose. And so right here, even in verses 23 to 27, where he's, uh, uh, he enters into the temple, he's showing his authority. Then he moves in, he curses this fig tree. Uh, and the, the fig tree itself is again a picture. He enters the temple again as one with authority, uh, 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 the authority of a priest. So the first time he enters in uh, as prophet, and then he enters in as priest. He's entering in as a, as a king, I'm sorry, and then he's entering in as a priest. Now we see, uh, as we have come to this portion of it, that the uh, Pharisees are questioning his authority. If you drop back a few verses from where we started this morning, uh, look at verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? <laughs> so they're just, they're, they're, all right, Jesus, who, who, who made you in charge? Who gave you the right to drive us out? Who gave you the right to tell us these things? Who gave you the right to say these things? And Jesus is like, I'm going to let you know. And he does it in a way that catches everyone in the group very pointedly. Jesus is setting the stage for a lesson here. And this, this stage is going to be set with every little detail. We were on our way to visit my wife's sister uh, and brother-in-law one day. And you ever get it in your mind that the GPS is wrong? You ever been there? I know I'm not the only one. Because you have also followed the GPS to find out that it was wrong. And it led you up and you started hearing banjo music in the background. And you're like, I don't think I need to be here. Well, I did that. It had me getting off of a certain exit and I thought, 
there's another exit just after this one. It's going to get us even closer. And it was like nine minutes left on the drive. And I said, I think I'm just going to go on to the next. And my wife's going, you need to get off at this exit. And I'm like, I, I think it'll be all right. I'm going to get on to the next exit. No, you need to get off at this exit. Here's the directions telling you to get off this exit. I want a GPS that actually talks to you the way it should be talked to. Hey, idiot, get off now, you know. And then when you go past, instead of recalculating, look, moron, you know, that's what it needs to say. I told you to turn, and you didn't. I went on by, and guess what happened? The ETA went from like nine minutes left to like 28 minutes left. Oh, driving all the way down, then getting off, then coming all the way back up. You see, I didn't follow the sign. And Jesus has been putting some road signs all along the way here to lead us up to something specific. You see, he becomes rather bold at this stage and looks at the priests dead in the eyes and tells them that the tax collectors and prostitutes are going to enter in. Then he tells them, you're going to have the kingdom ripped away from you. Wow. That's bold, isn't it? <laughs> That's pretty, pretty in your face. It's direct. You see, he, uh, he gives the parable of the vine dressers and, and he gives the parable of the two sons and he lays it all out for us uh, so that we can, there's really no misunderstanding. So we'd see the explanation of what's getting ready to take place here. And when Jesus asks what they, were, what they would do after the parable of the vine dressers, we just read it. If you look there in verse number 40, he says, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? These are the ones that just killed his son. In verse 41, this is what they said that the guy would do. He says, uh, they said, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will give, let out his vineyard, give it unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. That was their wording. And Jesus said, you're right. You're getting ready to be those guys gotten rid of. This is pretty serious stuff. Not stuff we want to goof around with. So let's look at the exposition of this real quickly. Uh, if you want to keep your uh, hand or put something in uh, a bookmark in Matthew and drop back to uh, Isaiah chapter number 5, Brother Herb read from this just a little bit ago to kind of whet our appetites. Isaiah chapter 5. Israel was called, the called and chosen people of God. Now, a lot of people get into that whole Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, and they, they get focused in on the wrong things here. They get focused in on the, the love and the hatred. Well, God hated Esau. Now, just, just stop for a minute. God chose Israel, but he chose him for a purpose. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to take Israel, and Israel's the only one that's going to be blessed. The Bible lets us know that through Israel, all the world would be blessed. Let's get it right. Let's understand our theology. It's not only Israel was going to be able to have a relationship with God. No, Israel was chosen to help everybody else have a relationship with God. That was their choosing. And so this is, uh, this is not something that we want to uh, get pulled off to the side about. But the question is, why did God choose them? Uh, God chose them. He chose them not based on their goodness, but based on, uh, on his goodness and his grace, based on his lovingness, based on, on their willingness to do what he wanted them to do. When God called Abraham, at that time Abram, 
He went. There was some obedience in that. And so God said, because of of who I am and because you obeyed me, I'm going to bless the world through you. But I want you to notice that God built a vineyard expecting it to bear fruit. Look at chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 1. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And he also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. O now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. It will also command the clouds and the rain. Uh, I will also command the clouds and the rain that they rain no more rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment. But behold, oppression, righteousness, but behold, a cry. God planted his vineyard. And this was something that the people of Israel would have understood. And the priests in that day would have, when Jesus was explaining this vineyard idea, they would have realized what he was talking about. And so God puts it out there. He expects it to bring forth, uh, uh, to bring forth um, uh, fruit, but it says it brought forth wild grapes. And some people may say, well, he, it's a vineyard. It's supposed to bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Wild grapes are a weed. And they take over and they, uh, they, uh, they uh, choke out and they steal all the nutrients. Their roots dig deep and get a hold of all the nutrients and rob everything else around it uh, of the nutrients that are in the soil. Nothing else is very good at, at being able to grow in this. And it's kind of like a kudzu type of a thing. It just, it just overwhelms and it suffocates everything else in its path. And so Israel had come to the place where instead of bringing forth fruit, it was bringing forth weeds and more weeds. And so much so that any light, any bit of truth that was coming in uh, was choked out. So Jesus is actually proclaiming to the priests something that they would have been familiar with. And they knew exactly what he was saying. God is the landowner. Israel was the vineyard. And these priests were the vine dressers, the husbandmen. The wicked. You see, Jesus is giving a warning that the kingdom of God was about to be taken away and given to another. I want you to to understand what is pivotal about this. Jesus said that when it came time to see fruit, that messengers or servants were sent. I mean, which of the prophets did they not torment and kill? 
This is what they did. They beat them. They stoned them. They killed them. Anybody that had the message of truth was hated. And then he says, I'm going to send my son. And the son came. And the, the man said, they'll have to listen to my son. But these wicked men ignored the son and killed him. This is Jesus, yet again, one more time, prophesying his death at their hands. Think about it. Think about what he is, he is putting before here. He is warning that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from them because they're about to kill the Son of God. Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. People say, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Yes, he did time and time again. Right here is a perfect example of it. So finally, we got all of that, that by way of introduction. Now let me start with my first point. I'm kidding. It's okay. Wake up your neighbor. It'll be all right. Finally, the application. This is one of those parables that really, even with our 2020 vision, to be honest with you, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty easy to understand. And so God's promise to Abraham and that all nations would be blessed through his descendants was kind of a twofold promise. One, the whole of the world, uh, uh, the people of Israel were to be uh, people of priests and prophets and evangelists. That was, that's what they were supposed to be. And they were supposed to tell the rest of the world. Go back to you know, David and Goliath. He, the whole reason he went up against Goliath, so that the world may know that there is a God. This is what they were supposed to be. The second uh, uh, aspect of the way that God's uh, uh, promise to Abraham was that all world would be blessed was through the seed, singular, the offspring, singular, not plural, talking about the coming Messiah and that the Messiah was going to come through his line. And so this is, this is, a, uh, this is not overly difficult for us to really kind of look into. This is not overly difficult, but we want the application to be a little more pointed because if we're not careful, we're going to go, yeah, Israel got its due. <laughs> and then what happened? The kingdom of God, the church. And the church was to be the one that was bringing forth fruit now. Now, this is not replacement theology. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, Israel's timetable got paused. The kingdom of God was relocated for a temporary time. This is not replacement theology. The church did not replace Israel. Let's just move on from there. But instead of presenting God and producing fruit, the Jews had become engrossed in self-promotion. They were weeds producing weeds, choking out any evidence of light and truth. That's what they had come to. This is pretty audacious if you think about it. And Jesus is really kind of putting his finger right on the, on, on the sore spot. And he's letting them know you had the truth. What have you done with it? You've allowed wild grapes. You've allowed to produce weeds. And you're okay with it. And anybody that tries to come and tell you and redirect you, you kill them. You beat them. Finally, the son comes, 
and he too will be killed. So now, how do we start to apply this to ourselves? You see, we started talking about this by how we get distracted and we become self-centered. That's what Israel had done. God established his people to tell others about him. Jesus established his church to tell others about him. When, we, when, when the people of Israel came together to worship, there were certain rules and regulations. They had to have the right kind of, uh, of, of sacrifice. They had to have the right kind of, uh, of heart and approach to it. Why? Because it wasn't just anybody that they were coming to. It wasn't just anybody they were supposed to be worshiping. It was the creator of the universe. So a spotless lamb was what was necessary. If we want to come to the spotless one, we need to come with something spotless. And you and I, my friend, are not spotless. So they had to come to him the right way. They got to the place where they were making money off of it instead had little to do with the idea that these are people trying to approach this thrice holy God. I mean, if you really think about it, uh, they even had provision in there to help the people who couldn't afford that lamb. They had provisions in there to help the people who were struggling financially. But the priests had moved all that to the side and looked for a way to cheat the people out of their money, to cheat the people and to make extra money on top of it. And God is saying, you are making a mockery of what's supposed to be taking place here. So yes, I'm going to take the worship of God away from you. Yes, I'm going to give it to someone else who knows how to worship me properly, who will worship me in spirit and truth. This is what Jesus was saying in John. He says, now's the time. He was telling the woman at the well, now's the time when people are to worship me in spirit and in truth. We get distracted by everything else. Why don't they sing the song I want to sing? Why don't they have the chairs I want to have? Why don't they have the food I like to eat? Why don't they sing more songs and preach less? Why don't they preach more and sing less? Why don't they turn the heat up? Why don't they turn the heat down? Why don't they let this happen and that happen? And when are we going to have this? And when are we going to have that? Beloved, we're coming together to worship God. Not you and me. We're coming together for a specific purpose. This is the vineyard that does not belong to us. We should not be fighting and squabbling over the stupid things of life. Rather, we are here to sing His praises. We are here to sing about His glory. We're here to lift Him up. We're here to hear His word. When everybody said happy birthday to me this week. Happy birthday. Let's move on. That'll last you all year. Might be the last one, but I promise you, I'm happy birthday all the January, February, March, and April, May, June, Julys, August, September's, October's, November's, and December's. Happy birthday. Now, can we worship the Lord? Right? Why are we here? The Israelites, 
they messed up. They lost it. They got distracted. They got their mind pulled away. It wasn't about the worship of God anymore. It was about we're Israelites. We're God's chosen people. If you look even at the, uh, look back at the um, uh, Matthew chapter number 21 there, the parable of the two sons. The first son, let's just read it. I don't want to just give it to you. What thank ye, verse 28, a certain man had two sons and came to the first and the son uh, and said, son, go work in the vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. He came to the second son and said, likewise. And he said, I'll go, sir, and did not. This is what took place with the Israelites. God wanted all men. And they said, we won't. He goes to the Israelites. And they said, we will worship you. But they didn't. The first son was disobedient, but later repented and became obedient. The second son lied, pretended to recognize God as God, but never did. Beloved, we can fall into that same trap. We think, well, the church is here to stay. Is it? Go to the book of Revelation with me, please. Revelation chapter number 2. Because the question that I want us to start thinking about this morning is how are you doing it? Submitting to Jesus' authority. How are you doing it? Submitting to Jesus' authority. Ask yourself this and be honest. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 with me. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored. Has not fainted. Notice the type of church that this is. This is a church that's involved in all kinds of ministries. This is a church that's doing the right stuff. This is a church that is uh, that is busy. They're, they they have they've sought out all those false preachers and they've run them off. They've tried those which say they are apostles and are not right. They can't bear them which are evil. They boot them out. First chance they get. They're doing it all right. They're involved in all the good ministries. They're patient, waiting. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Beloved, it can happen to a church too. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And repent and do the first works, 
or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. You know what he's saying? Removing the candlestick, in other words, you're no longer going to be a church. Takes it right out, says, you know what? Mm -mm, ain't happening. Because they left their first love. What was their first 